No way that I'm cool enough to follow an intro like that, but uh, it is what it is, right? Hey, have you noticed how the way that uh, we listen to music has changed drastically, really, from generation to generation? Have you noticed how much uh, it's changed? If you think about it, like for this younger generation and probably some of the younger people in the room right now, like when you think about listening to music, I mean, so much of your world revolves around things like Spotify, right? And uh, for those of you that don't know what Spotify is and are maybe thinking, is that like some communicable disease or something, you know, ask the kids in your life. They'll, they'll tell you what it is. But for me growing up in the 80s, well, this cassette tape was how we listened to music, all right? This was a part, big part of my upbringing and uh, listening to music through this. Now, some of you are looking at this right now thinking, hey, I saw one of those at the Children's Museum one time, you know? They had, a, had one on display, and, and that's fair because, you know, how in the world do you get the music in there and how can you put it into that machine and, well, music uh, comes from a bit, but some of you remember things like vinyl albums and uh, eight-track tapes, and, uh, but if you were like me and, and if you grew up in the the 80s or around the 80s, if you, and if you own some blank cassette tapes, then I don't need to tell you what a mixtape is. How many of you made some mixtapes back in the day? All right, quite a few of you here. I mean, you know what it's like. Well, if you did that before, if you remember that, you know that uh, things like Spotify make building a playlist, you know, very easy, very simple. With a mixtape, you got to work for it, right? I mean, there's some work to do. I mean, there's both an art and a science to creating the perfect mixtape. The art is just the right arrangements of songs, okay? I mean, for your perfect collection. The science is anticipating the moment. I mean, you've got your recorder, you've got your finger on the record button, you've got the radio playing next to it. You are anticipating the moment they play the perfect song and you catch that song with the record. And if you're disciplined enough, if you spend enough time working at it, before you know it, you have the perfect mixtape. Well, we are continuing in our series today called Summer Mixtape. Jerry kicked us off last week. Uh, we're studying the Psalms together. Now, a number of these Psalms were written by Israel's most famous king, a guy by the name of David, but not all of them. And located in the center of your Bible, the Psalms are a collection of writings, of songs really. In fact, the word Psalms means songs, okay? Uh, it just means songs. And for the early Christian church, the Psalms then were like a hymnal of sorts, a playlist really. And many of these songs were the songs that they sang as a part of their worship. And if you'd like to follow along with me today, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 32. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, it's page 386, or there's just a really good chance if you take it and you go right to the center, you're going to open up to Psalms and you can find Psalm 32 in there. As you're turning there, I want to just tell you what I'm praying about, what we're praying about as we work through this series this month. First of all, we want to ask God to increase our faith and our understanding of Him, uh, that no matter what we go through in life, uh, just realizing, reminding ourselves that He He is good. He is trustworthy no matter what. I mean, that's why we sing the songs that we sing to, and that's one of the things that makes the Psalms unique. Uh, if you read them in their entirety, you're going to find how they capture really all of the ups and downs of life and of faith. In fact, uh, writer Philip Yancey says this about the Psalms. He says, they, they, they give us examples of ordinary people struggling mightily to align what they believe about God with what they actually experience. And so the Psalms, studying the Psalms, uh, can be a way of working out our faith in God. But secondly, we also want to pray that God would use these Psalms to teach us how to pray in any and every circumstance we find ourselves in, because many of the Psalms are like prayers, 
Uh, they really like prayers. And what's interesting is that like any faithful Jewish student, Jesus would have been very familiar with them. He, he quoted from the Psalms. He would have prayed the words of these songs. And because we want to model our lives after Jesus Christ, it's all the more reason to study the Psalms and let them impact the way that we pray too. Now, there are 150 Psalms total. All right, from beginning to end, you can see that in your Bibles. And traditionally, these are considered to be uh, uh, kind of listed in, in, in five different categories. You can separate the Psalms into five different categories. There are the Psalms of lament, praise, thanksgiving, wisdom, or enthronement. The, the, the Psalms of enthronement really have everything to do with the coming uh, Messiah. We are, uh, we're going to look at a psalm of confession today. Now, right away, you look at, well, it's not even on the screen there. Well, the psalm of confession is actually a subcategory of the psalms of lament, and, and these are usually where we express sorrow over sin or over pain in our lives. And the psalm of confession that if you've been around church for a while, you're most likely familiar with is Psalm 51, and it's a, it's a prayer that David prayed following his affair with Bathsheba, and it's a prayer where, where he repents and he asks for God's forgiveness and for his grace. Well, we're looking at Psalm 32 today. And David, many believe David is the writer here as well. And from what we understand, some time has passed since his incident with Bathsheba and the confession of his own sin. And so you could say that a wiser and an older David is reflecting now back. He's reflecting on the whole experience, what he learned about sin and confession. And and here's what's most important for us today, what we might be able to learn from him. Uh, what is it that the Lord has done through David's life, all right, that he wants to show us, that he wants to teach us today too? So before we begin with Psalm 32, let me just pray uh, real quick. Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence here with us today and the way that you're already working in this place and in our lives. Uh, we're opening our hearts and our minds to you right now, and we pray that through the Spirit's leadership that you would speak into our hearts today, that we would hear from you, God and be willing to act on that, be willing to know that and embrace that for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 32, uh, starting in verse 1, David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Two words that I want you to see right away are the words blessed and the word sin or transgressions, or iniquities, same, same, really basically the same word here. A, a blessing first, a, a blessing is anything that draws us closer to God. Uh, a blessing is anything that comes from Him uh, that makes us more satisfied in, in Him, or more fully satisfied in Him. Sin, on the other hand, is any action of ours that falls short of the will of God. Because God is perfect, uh, anything that we do that falls short of His perfection then is sin. And the Bible actually uses a number of different illustrations uh, to help us understand what sin is. For example, uh, the Bible often describes how uh, sin is, is like an archer, Uh, that misses the target. And if you can imagine the archer, he or she with the bow and pulling the strings back, and then there's the release uh, of the arrow. And and, and if that arrow veers off course from the bullseye, whether by a little or by a lot, well, they've missed the target. The arrow, really, when you think, it doesn't land where it's supposed to. Sin's like that. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sin every day. We sin by the things that we we do. We sin by the things that we fail to do. And what I want you to notice here then is that sin, we see these these first two verses, sin uh, is closely connected to God's blessing. 
All right, sin is closely connected to God's blessing. Sin is what separates us from his blessing. And so when we refuse to acknowledge our sin, our personal sin, we are missing out on the blessings of God in our lives. And so when you think about it, confession then is like this door to forgiveness. Uh, It's the door that we pass through to forgiveness, which leads to the further blessings of God in our lives. So right away, we see that David is highlighting the importance of personal confession. The the, uh, walking with the Lord as a follower of Jesus and our ongoing uh, confession, but but right away, there's a challenge. If we we think about it, if we're just going to be honest with ourselves, there's a challenge because sin is not a popular word in our culture today. It's not, and, and so much of, of life today is based on feelings, uh, it's based on entitlement, it's based on what I need, it's based on, hey, what is right or wrong for you isn't necessarily right or wrong for me, and I just want you to note that that's not from God. Uh, that, that's a faulty belief system, and the danger is that even as followers of Jesus, we can we just sort of settle for sin then, or we tolerate sin in our lives. I like what pastor and author Kyle Eidelman says about this. Check out these words uh, here. He says, when we don't acknowledge sin, there's no confession. When we don't confess, there's no forgiveness. When there's no forgiveness, we miss out on God's blessing. And remember again, David's writing here. All right, this is from his experience, and he's likely referring back to his marital unfaithfulness with Bathsheba. More than a year went by before David confessed his sin to God, and so he's looking back, and he remembers it all, and he's grown from it, and he's helped others learn from his mistakes and from his his better choices too. And so when we acknowledge our sin, what we're doing is we're confessing when we take that before the Lord. And the other side of confession then is blessing from God. But what David does next is he gives us a glimpse into his soul as he recalls the torment and the pain of unconfessed sin. Uh, Look at verse 3. He writes, he remembers, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I wonder if any of you could relate to words like that. Ever gone through something like that in your life? If Because if you've ever really messed up before or if you've tried to keep pushing through with unconfessed sin in your life, you know what the pain can be like. You know what the the struggle can be like. Uh, Anyone ever suffer through a round of food poisoning? Anybody ever been there before? It's good times, right? If you've been there before, if you've gone through it, great stuff. Uh, I, I remember one time Jenny and I got away for a few days to a bed and breakfast, and we both got a round of food poisoning. Hit us about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Pretty sure it was the lettuce wraps, okay, that we had for dinner. Sounds like a likely culprit, right? Lettuce, chicken, you know. It was a rough night. I, I remember the start of it was shivering uncontrollably under the covers, all right, not able to get warm, and then it just changed on a dime, and then it went to I was so hot that I couldn't cool off. I remember just lying on our bathroom floor at this bed and breakfast. It was a tile floor and just pressing my face up against the cold tile, again, just trying to find some relief, all right? Again, it was a horrible night. Uh, Didn't go really as planned at all whatsoever. What David is doing, he's just recalling the impact that unconfessed sin can have on your life and the lives of others. Let's talk about that uh, for just a few moments. You know, we'll, we'll call these, if you would, symptoms of unconfessed sin. Uh, because first, when we lived with unconfessed sin, let's just recognize there are going to be some relational challenges. 
Uh, we've all been there, right? Because sin rarely impacts us. It impacts others uh, involved too. And so maybe you've got some people in your life you've been avoiding, uh, avoiding at all costs, afraid to bump into. Maybe you find yourself getting irritable uh, too fast or a little defensive when certain conversations come up. Uh, perhaps others would say that you're overly critical, uh, that you struggle with things like gossip or, or bitterness. I mean, if you struggle to trust, if others struggle to trust you, you can see these are the relational consequences of our sin. But there are also physical consequences for sin. David describes these. He says, My bones wasted away, groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I'm sure all of us could talk about some struggles in life with, with depression, uh, anxiety, bitterness, fear that in some way may be the result of unconfessed sin. And if and maybe not in your life, but potentially in the lives of others. Uh, there are mental consequences too, because I don't know about you, but when I have some unconfessed sin in my life, I may push it to the side for a while. But, but if you've trusted Christ with your life, you know there's going to come a moment when the Holy Spirit is going to bring that sin to mind for you. It's called conviction. And uh, you can't put that conviction off for too long. And, and what the Holy Spirit does for us, by the way, is a good thing, all right, in bringing those sins to mind for us. And he's not going to let that go away until we confess that before God. But unfortunately, this is where the evil one, where Satan really likes to get involved. And because he loves deception, and he can use things like temptation and unconfessed sin, uh, he, he can use those as a way of manipulating our thoughts, the way we think about ourselves and, and others. But finally, there are also spiritual consequences to sin too. And because sin separates us from God, uh, it prevents us even as followers of Jesus, from experiencing that closeness or that satisfaction that He wants us to find in Him. And so until we repent of that sin then, there's going to be something that, that separates us, all right? There, there's something that separates us from that closeness. Again, that's why confession's the door. Confession is the door that we walk through to get right with God to experience that closeness in him. Verse 5, David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so confession is the practice of acknowledging our sins to God. It, it's really, it's one of the great disciplines that all of us can and should grow in as we, as we desire to fo follow Jesus and grow closer uh, to him. But why do we struggle with it? Like, what, what keeps us uh, from confessing our sin before the Lord? Now, I'll agree that it may have everything to do with just a lack of understanding, so we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what else keeps us from confessing? Uh, what, what keeps me, as I was thinking about it, what keeps me from, from confessing? I've got one word for you that'll do that for me at times. I don't know about you, but it's the word pride. All right, pride has a way of doing that. I, when I'm proud or prideful, I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to acknowledge my sin or my wrong. And the Bible talks a lot about pride and how really pride is at the heart of every sin that we commit. But humility, on the other hand, it goes a long way. And really, when you think about it, confession and humility, they go together. And the cool thing about humility is the Bible talks a lot about how God gives grace to the humble and how when we humble ourselves before God, He lifts us up. But I think there might be something else that prevents us from confessing or acknowledging our sin to God. And I think sometimes that has everything to do with our own personal fear, our fear of what might come from it. I was reading this uh, past couple of weeks about how when World War II 
first came to an end, that even though the war was over, tens of thousands of Japanese soldiers were still occupying many of the Pacific Islands where fierce fighting had previously taken place and, and hiding in the jungle still in the mountains of these isolated islands. Well, one by one, the American or even allied forces went to the islands with the message that the war is over. You know, peace has been declared, lay down your arms and come out. But the Japanese soldiers still fighting thought it was a trick and refused to. And so eventually General MacArthur had the emperor of Japan make audio recordings, which they broadcast with these loudspeakers uh, into these jungle areas with this message that the war's over, peace has been declared, lay down your arms can come out. And only then did some of these Japanese forces and soldiers begin to come out. Well, World War II ended on September the 2nd, 1945. It's been reported that the last Japanese soldier came out of hiding in March, get this, 1974. 29 years later, and when asked why it took so long, his response was simply, I was afraid. I was afraid. One of the things that keeps us from confessing our own sin and maybe confessing our sin to others is, is fear, isn't it? Fear is like, uh, what will others think? Or what will he or she, you know, think of me? Will he or she ever forgive me? Or or even as we think about our relationship with God and bringing those things before Him, you know, I, I've messed up too much. And not just with other people, but before God. And so what does He think about me? Like, if I, am I wasting His time? Like, why would He love me? Why would He give me another chance or forgive me once again? Have you ever thought about how powerful shame really is? Have you ever struggled with shame? know what shame is capable of. Shame is a powerful force. But can I tell you something really cool about this God of ours? This God of ours, He loves to forgive. He loves to forgive. He loves to extend grace and mercy. He loves to redeem lives and even our greatest mistakes. Does He hate sin? Yes, He despises it. Uh, does it grieve God when we selfishly make wrong choices and walk away from Him? Absolutely. Will He take us back when we see our wrong ways and turn back to Him? Every time, without fail. Our God loves to forgive. And that's why confession is so important to you and me as followers of Jesus. And, and because sin is still present in this world and it impacts every single one of us, people like me, you know, uh, we, we have to keep trusting the Lord in this. Like, we're going to sin. All right, we're going to make these mistakes. And so confession, regular and even daily confession, is the way we get right with God and stay in step with Him. And so that's how and why you can even take a psalm like this, read it and pray through it and allow it to influence you know, your time alone with the Lord each and every day. Because if I were to read a psalm like this on any given morning, it would immediately remind me of the importance of personal confession. And I don't know about you, but I like to journal. I don't do it every morning, but I think journaling is very helpful for me, especially in writing out my prayers. And so if I'm spending time with these words here in Psalm 32, I might just write out at the top of the page David's words when he says, I will confess my transgressions or my sins to the Lord. And then I provided four words for you that I think can just kind of guide us as we think about these things. The first word is to examine. That as you begin to think about these things, as you ask the Lord to kind of come in and work in your heart and mind to examine, well, this is where we wait, all right? This is where we wait. 
wait and think and we ask the Lord to bring to mind maybe some sin that we've committed in our own life. And sometimes that may come quickly. Sometimes it might be very obvious. Sometimes it takes time. But then the second thing is then we confess our sins to the Lord. Again, that's the point. Uh, And this is where we begin to see sin for what it is and experience sorrow over it. Basically, you're learning to see sin the way that God sees it. And so there should be a disgust. There should be a a frustration and a desire to flee from it. But then we must seek. we got to seek His forgiveness. All right, that's what we're called to do, to seek his forgiveness, to ask God to forgive us for these sins. Then I think sometimes, and maybe most of the time, there's a decision that needs to be made. And that's a decision that we make to avoid it, uh, to remove the temptation from our lives. Sometimes you need to ask others to help you or to seek appropriate help. But most importantly, this is where we pray and ask the Lord to help us overcome this sin. And hang on to promises like 1 John 1, 9, when John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what do we know about forgiven sin? I love another song, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12, where the writer says that he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Get this, as far far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And confession is what leads us into his presence, into these promises and this blessing. And it's after confession that God forgives our sins. And again, there we experience his blessings, his presence, his favor, and his love. And so there's a right way to deal with our personal sin and it's confession, but there's a wrong way to deal with sin too. And David is thinking about God's forgiveness and blessing after a time of sin in his life, and now he challenges people like you and me to do the same. Look at verse 6. He writes, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Paraphrased, I think David is basically saying, hey, don't put it off. Like when you recognize these things, when the Holy Spirit brings these, the sin to your mind, like, like don't put it off. Don't let your heart grow hard over it. Don't get too cozy or too tolerant with any sin in your life because the longer we put up with it, the longer we go on with unconfessed sin, the more likely our hearts are going to harden and our relationships are going to suffer and maybe most importantly, our relationship with the Lord. And some of you, and if you've been around this for a while, and as you make an effort to live for Jesus in this world, like some of you, you know, like you get this. You, you know what it means uh, to live with uh, this sort of, of regret, if you would. Or, or maybe even today, maybe even this morning, some of you even right now are experiencing some conviction in your own life because if you're honest, well, you're living in sin right now. And, and maybe there's something for you. And, and maybe it's something that you felt regret over a couple of years ago and even shared it with someone, or, or maybe you got caught, and, and potentially there were tears involved, but, but if you never really confessed, if you've never really repented before God, or, or because you were able to keep it a secret and cover it up, uh, maybe you've just kind of gone on with life, or you're still living in it today. And I think what David is saying is that when we try and go on like that, there are going to be times and moments where it feels like the water is just rising and it's up to your neck, and you don't know what to do about it. And I describe for you how sin can be a lot like food poisoning, but it's also, it's also a little bit like the impact of a slow drip, too. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the one that forms under your dishwasher, 
and you can't see it, and it's just slow enough that it really doesn't show up for a month or two, and then it's too late because the mold's present and the rot has already underway. And unconfessed sin, it has that potential of doing that same work in our lives. And so David says in verses 8 and 9, this is where he well, basically shows us where to go. He says, verse 8, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Basically, hey, I've been here. Let me just show you the best. Here's what you can do with it. He says, I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. He says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. In other words, David says, hey, don't wait until the circumstances or the consequences of your sin become so dramatic that they ruin your life, potentially the lives of others, and most importantly, your relationship with God. Because the right and better way is to regularly confess our sins before God. The wrong thing is to cover it up or to hide it. But there's at least one more danger of unconfessed sin that threatens to destroy our relationship with God and others. And it's the guilt of our past sins. And let me just first say that I think there's a degree of guilt that is natural, maybe even healthy, healthy. Or, or maybe the better word here is the word regret, you know, and because I think there's a healthy sense of regret uh, that comes from past sins that from time to time will remind us, oh yeah, I've been down that road before. It's not a good road. Don't walk down that road again. Don't make those same mistakes. But what I want to take a moment to address before we close is the guilt that some of you are living with right now, a guilt that continues to follow you around, hold you back, and it's influencing every part of your life. Because here's the thing, that guilt is not from God. It's from the evil one. And even though you've already confessed that sin before God and been forgiven for it, once in a while what the evil one loves to do is he loves to show right back up into your life and remind you and me of the mess that we've made. Look at David's words one more time in verse 5. He says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. He said, I, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Look at that last sentence in that verse for just a moment, because I think there's some words here that have the potential to change everything, maybe even for one of you today or some of you here this morning, because notice that David is recalling how God forgave his sin, but not only that, he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. And this is huge, because when we confess God not only forgives our sins, but he has the potential to forgive us and free us from the guilt of our sins. And the truth today is this. The truth today is that some of you have had your sins forgiven by God, but you haven't yet forgiven yourself. And because of that, you've not been able to escape the weight of guilt and shame in your life, and you've insisted on carrying that guilt and that weight around with you day after day, year after year, and you know what? It's destroying you. And it's impacting your relationships and your health, maybe, and your relationship with God. And so if I could, I'd love to say one thing to some of you today, and it's this, that it's time to leave your guilt and shame at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's time to leave your guilt and shame there and to let God remove that weight and to remove that burden and that guilt from your life once and for all because Jesus died for it too. And a couple of weeks back, 
Jerry talked about one of the most important Jewish festivals, a festival that Jesus himself would have celebrated every year. It was a festival known as Passover. Uh, There's another festival that Jesus would have celebrated, and it's the festival known as Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And get this, this festival had everything to do with forgiveness. And first acknowledged in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, the Day of Atonement marked the day when the high priest would come before the people and perform certain rituals as a way of atoning for all of their sins. And so when the Day of Atonement came around each year, the crowds would gather around the temple. The high priest would come before them. He would take two goats. And with the first goat, he would sacrifice it. He would kill it as a way of atoning for the sins of the people. The blood would be shed and dripped upon the altar again as a way of acknowledging, as a way of atoning for their sins. But there was a second goat, a second goat that the priest would take. The second goat is referred to as the Hebrew word azazel, all right? It's on the screen there if you want to write that down. And with all of the people watching, the high priest, what he would do is he would take the goat, he would place his hands on the goat and confess all of the sins of the people over it, and then not kill it, but instead it would be released to an appointed individual who would take the goat out into the wilderness and set it free. Again, it was a sign that the sins were being removed from the people. It's the Azazel. It's where we get our word scapegoat. All right, it's the word scapegoat. Now, again, the significance of this was the Azazel was escorted away before the people's eyes. And so if you can imagine, it represented all of their sins leaving them, the guilt, the shame, forgiveness, again, leaving the people's presence at least, at least for another year. Because the key words being another year, because this is before the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and so sin still remains. It still has power. Therefore, this system of sacrifice was forced to continue until the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what we know and believe today. Jesus is the better and perfect scapegoat. And the good news is that God has taken all of my sin and all of your sin, past, present, and future, and he placed it upon his son Jesus. And like the Ezazel, 2,000 years ago at a place called Calvary, God allowed the Roman soldiers to take our perfect sacrifice and hang him on a cross where he bled and he died. And because he is our perfect and final sacrifice, we know and believe that Jesus' death is sufficient. His sacrifice is sufficient for any sin we have or ever will commit. And so here's why this is good news. That means that if you've trusted Christ with your life and confessed your sins to him, you're forgiven. You get to live from this place of forgiveness. The the heavy weight and the burden of sin has been lifted and carried away. If you're forgiven then, you are covered with things like grace and you're covered with his love. If you're forgiven, the Bible says that God's not counting your sins against you anymore. You have the righteousness of Jesus in your life. In fact, if you've trusted Christ with your life, God doesn't see you alone anymore. When he looks at you, when he sees you, he sees Christ. He sees his son, Christ, in you. And it's like the song says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I was thinking about this this festival. What what was it like to be a person standing in the crowd witnessing all of this? I got to believe there was some enthusiasm. Don't you think? As that goat was led away out into the wilderness, their shame, their sin, leaving them. 
But I read something one time that made me laugh. It was a historical account of this particular celebration from the past again when the Azazel was led from the camp into the wilderness. But somehow on this one particular occasion, the goat eventually found its way back into the camp. It just came walking back into town one day and the people flipped out. I mean, they were mortified. I mean, it was like an omen that their sins were coming back to haunt them once again. Well, that same account then said from that day forward, the person leading the goat away was given the instruction, hey, take it out to the wilderness, find a cliff and push it off the cliff, all right, so that it dies so that it can never come back once again. Hey, Satan wants to make you believe you can't be forgiven, that shame and guilt own your life. Jesus says, no, you're set free. You are set free from your sin and from that shame and guilt because he's our perfect and final sacrifice. And in Christ, you can be forgiven. In Christ, you and I, we can be freed and redeemed. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for those promises. We thank you for the truth that in Jesus Christ, we have been set free, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, remind us today that you want, to, you, you want us to live from forgiveness, not from shame and not from guilt, but from a place of forgiveness and by your grace because we've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you today, Lord. Let that impact our life. Let that be our identity today. Lord, I want to pray for those here this morning and maybe you've been working in their life. Maybe today's the perfect day. And Lord, you set that day in place to remind them that they are forgiven in Jesus, that you can remind us that if, again, as we confess, you set us free and grow us up and change us. Lord, help us to find our strength in you. Spirit, lead us in our lives and all that we do. Set us free from sin. Set us free from shame and guilt. Free somebody here today. Set someone free here this morning. We want to live by you. We want to find our identity in you. And Father, I also want to pray for those that may be here today that have never trusted you with their life before. And as your word says that if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts that God raised, that you raised Jesus from the dead, then we will be set free. I just pray and trust that you want to set somebody free here this morning that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if that's you and You've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus before. I want to give you an opportunity to do that, to just pray with your own words. Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. Forgive me. Set me free today. You can pray that. The Lord will hear it, and he will respond in your heart. He, he wants to do amazing and great things through you, and we'd love to be a part of that. We'd love to talk to you this morning. If you prayed a prayer like that, if you're ready to make a decision like that today, we'll be up front afterwards. We hope you'll come forward just take the chance to share with us for just a moment. But God, move in our hearts today. Remind us of this good news each and every day. Draw us close to you. Teach us to be people who confess and that are changed by your love and grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.